sort of arrived, that you've accomplished what you need to accomplish, sorry. You might want to leave now because you're going to hear a whole lot about that's not the case. And the, the task that he has given to us requires our bravery. Um, our, our passage um, that we've been using throughout this series is in Joshua chapter 1, 6 through 9, and it's the, 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 the one that captures the essence of being strong, being courageous, being brave, so that we can obey God's leading and calling. It's not a call to be courageous and brave so that we can be yahoos, but it's so that we can do what God's calling us to do as He leads us to step out of the boat, burn the boats, and walk on the water where He would have us go into the midst, as we'll talk even more today, of storms. Tremendous storms that only He can empower us to do storms in our own lives and storms in lives around us. So I'm going to ask you to stand and let's uh, say uh, this uh, together. Joshua 1 verses 6 through 9. Be strong and courageous for you shall put this people in possession of the land that I swore to their ancestors to give them. Only be strong and very courageous being careful to act in accordance with all the law that my servant Moses commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, so that you may be successful wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. You shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to act in accordance with all that is written in it. For then you shall make your way prosperous, and then you shall be successful. I hereby command you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened or dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So you, you can see this is a, a charge, this call to be brave, to, to obeying God's leading is, is always before us. And it's, it's something that we're always called to go for, to, to move into. Um, I, as I was thinking about this, I re, was reminded of a number of quotes from my old high school football coach, um, who's, believe it or not, still coaching. As a matter of fact, just this season, Buddy Anderson, he's now the winningest high school football coach in the state of uh, Alabama. And I can still remember some of those statements that he made, some of those sayings calling us to always go for it, to always push forward. You know, it, it's, uh, one of his, uh, his statements was, you know, the life is an uphill battle, and if you don't keep your foot on the accelerator, eventually you'll end up back at the bottom of the hill. As we were lifting weights, and that was be after our fifth lap, you know, around the track, and didn't have positive thoughts about him at that moment. My my favorite one that I probably shared with you before is you can't steer a parked car. Now that we're we're always moving in the direction that God is calling us. Now there will be times where God calls us to rest, to stop, to reflect. But it's always in order to prepare to move forward because following Jesus is an uphill battle. Being, God bless you, being the church 
is always an uphill battle against the ways of the devil, against the ways of the world, and the sin that is within me and with you. We will be always moving forward, always taking on new risks, always growing in bravery because we are called to follow after the kingdom of God, the ways of heaven. And the the ways of this world are in opposition to the ways of heaven. The ways of this world are in accordance with the ways of the evil one. And that opposes the way of God. And so if we are following the way of God, we will always be needing to put the foot on the accelerator to move forward further and further, deeper and deeper into the mess in our own lives and the mess of this world. In, In a sense, it'll be developing within us A holy, H-O-L-Y, a holy discontent. A a holy dissatisfaction with where I am, you are, the church is, and the world is. And so they'll always be calling us to greater and greater risks, greater and greater acts of bravery as we seek to live the way that God wants us to live and invite others to do the same. Because as we'll see in our passage, we have been given the gift of the good news that Jesus cleanses us from sin, that Jesus connects us with God the Father so that we can live with Him forever. I mean, that is the core of the good news. That's the message of the kingdom. And a world is going to hell without that word. Without that message that we've been entrusted with. It's a gift that's been given to us. And a world opposes that message in deed and in word. And yet we have now been entrusted to share that message with others. And we see folks around us who are living in hell in this life and playing with the devil. And by a gift of God, we, in the power of the Spirit, have been given the message of truth and because of that message are learning to play with Jesus. And so he sends us back out into that risky world in order then to share that message, to live that message of what it means to play with Jesus with other folks who are playing with the devil and many don't even know it. So it takes great acts of bravery to be a part of a church that's doing that. And I would say to you, if the church isn't doing that, then it's not being the church. So we'll see in this passage. It might be a nice club. might even be a nice religious organization. But if it, if it is not, and if we are not if it, carriers, recipients of that wonderful gift of the good news that Jesus has given to us, and if we're not then carrying that out to others, then we are not, I'll propose to you, the church of Jesus Christ. We're something else. But we're not the church. So we'll see that in our passage as we look again. As we walk with Peter, throughout this series we've been walking with Peter. And today it's in Matthew 16. And and here we'll see how one of Peter's greatest moments and one of his worst moments. And and what's really good about this is that, that we need to go full bore following after Jesus, 
knowing that at times there will be wonderful high points and other times will be terrible failures. So we'll see with Peter. But that doesn't stop us from putting the foot on the accelerator and getting on and going even harder and continuing to enter into the risks, even if it leads to failure. All right, Matthew chapter 16, starting with verse 13. It's on 798 in your your pew Bible. Let's, uh, Let's pray together. Gracious God, we... We know that you have entrusted us this message of truth and that you've, you've called us to live that and to, to share that in, in what we say and in what we do. And so we want to do that. So help us hear that message from your word. Help us receive the, the pokes and the prods and the comforts and the encouragement of your Holy Spirit as we hear your word again today. Open our eyes, open our hearts, our soul to hear and receive and to respond in bravery. We need you at work in us. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Alright. Chapter 16 of Matthew, starting with verse 13. Now when Jesus came in the district of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, but others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Now, that is the crucial question of all of life. That that is the most central question that anyone can ever ask and ever answer. Who is Jesus? Who do you say that I am? And that's the question that we carry to others. That we answer in what we say and in what we do. Next verse. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Then verse 16, Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Peter proclaims this truth that Jesus, you are God the Son. You are the Lord. You are my leader. You are the one that I'm going to follow. You and you alone are the object of my desire. And I want all of my desires to be focused upon you. In a little bit... uh, P.J. and Toby are going to be baptized. And in that act of baptism, they're giving their whole selves to saying, yes, I want Jesus to be the object of my desire. And that's the trajection, the trajectory, the direction. I just combined those two. Trajection. Is that a word? I don't know. That's the trajectory of, of their lives. That's the direction now that they're going to say, Jesus, you are the object of my desire. And the rest of your life then will be walking in that way, on that uphill battle, corrected by the Spirit as you get off that path. And don't worry, you're not on this alone. Everybody else is on the same journey. You are the object of my desires. You are the God of my life. 
the goal of my life, the purpose of my life, the, that which I live for. Not money, not sex, not work, not family, not government, not safety, not politics, not nation, not my own security, not my own success. None of those. When, you're, when we're baptized, those are washed away. Michael, actually on his way into children and worship, he came by, stuck his hand in and said, oh, I just got my hand baptized. And I go, hey, Mikkel, you don't know how many people would love just to say, well, I just want to baptize my left hand. Can I, can I just baptize that? Maybe I'll go up to my elbow. You know, but I don't want to baptize my whole self. But there is only one baptism. It's all or nothing with Jesus. Now, I wish, Toby and, and uh, PJ, I wish then it was magic. You know, that you then came up out of here and then everything was wonderful and you were just sparkling clean and you just walked with Jesus all with your whole life. Well, if you still believe that's the case, I just want you to know, you know, your mom and dad were baptized. And have you noticed maybe they have a few errors along the way? No? No? You, I, won't, I won't ask you that you don't have to answer that out loud. But other people around you have been baptized and it, it, it's not magic. But it is the direction of your life when you say, you answer that question, Jesus, you are the Son of the living God, the Anointed One. You are the direction of all of my life, not just Sunday morning and maybe Wednesday night. And so as a church, as an individual, then we have to be on the offense, continuing to pursue Him. We don't take a defensive, protective Posture. We don't gather here in our own little gated Christian community. We are on a journey that takes effort to follow after the ways of Jesus. Now, we are washed clean. It's a gift from God. But it's still, we are on this journey together. Alright, verse uh, 18. This is then Jesus um, talking back to him. Or verse 17. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. So you see, I mean, like I said, this, this is a gift that, that we are right with God in Jesus Christ is a gift from God. It's what He has revealed to Peter and it's what He has revealed to us. It's not something that we figured out then he goes on and I tell you you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven now now do you see how Jesus is now he is now set the trajectory for the whole church through what Peter said. That Peter said, you are the son of the living God. Well, then Jesus turns to, to Peter and changes his name from Simon to Peter. Peter means rock. And so I'm going to call you a rock. But upon this rock that you've just said, that Jesus is the son of the living God, now upon that rock I'm going to build my church. And I'm going to, I'm going to gather a group of people. By church, he means a gathering of a group of people who affirm that Jesus is the object of our desire together. He is the one that we follow above anything and everything else. That's what the church is that now Jesus has started. So he set the trajectory. And do you see the responsibility then that he's given to the church? How he sets them on the offense. 
He says, you know, you now, the church, you will prevail. Even the gates of hell will not prevail against you. And do you realize there, even there, he sets up the scene. The church is on the offense. It's the devil who's on the defense. Hell has gates. Gates are not offensive. And how the church has become like hell if we lock our doors or put up fences or put up gates, whether it's real or figuratively. The church of heaven is on the move in bravery, taking this message that we know is true and good and lived in our lives and sharing it with others. We don't want to be with a bunch of people who are already going to heaven. Yeah, we want to be with people who aren't. So we can share that message with them. That takes bravery because as we move in that direction, it gets messy. But look at the responsibility that he says in verse 19 where he's given then this church that's built on this rock of Jesus Christ as the Son of the living God. Now this church is now given the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Keys are the access, the ways to get in. And note too, the church is to be like the kingdom of heaven. They are to grow into being one and the same. So the things that the church does that are not part of God's kingdom are really not church. They're nice social club, they're nice group that's hanging out together and might be a nice, sweet place. But it's not the church that Jesus has said has the keys of the kingdom. I mean, there's an urgency to this message. There's an urgency to, to this call that he, that he gives to, to Peter. He says, now, and, and there is direct correspondence to what happens on earth and what happens in heaven. And that is given to us and to those that follow after Jesus. That scares the bejesus out of me. I mean, really, that is our task. I mean, that's what he says right here. This might be the one passage, if I could sort of take this out, I'd like to. Because the responsibility then that we are given for what we bind and what we loose here on earth is what is loosed in heaven. So it takes real then bravery to venture into this battleground between heaven and hell, between God and the devil. Where there is a sense then each person's relationship with God is dependent upon the church being a full and truthful witness to Jesus. And we must then be brave because He's given to us the responsibility of sharing this message that then once received is the eternal destiny of others. C.T. Studd, old missionary from a number of years ago, decades ago, uh, had a great quote. said, Some wish to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop right at the gates of hell. So a church that is in on that mission is, is one that is called to enter into the mess, the hellish living of this world 
to be an army in this battle. So it takes great bravery because then we become in the crosshairs of heaven and the crosshairs of hell. That's interesting. Then the last verse of this uh, passage. Then he, Jesus, sternly ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Ah, Wait a minute. You just got through saying there's this urgent message. This is what you're about to do. And Jesus now tells him, but wait. Well, and it's because everything the church is, everything about the message and the urgency and all the responsibility that we have is ultimately dependent upon and based upon and rooted in and assured in the life, the death, the resurrection, and the ascension and the return of Jesus Christ. That, that is what is absolutely necessary. And that hadn't happened yet. So Jesus is telling the disciples now, you know this is what the case is. You know your responsibility. But you've got to wait. You've got to wait because I have to go win the victory. I have to go win the battle. I have to go and obey the ways of the Father, even in the face of devil himself. And I have to throw the knockout punch as I die on the cross for the sins of the world. And then, because of what I've done, what Jesus has done, now we go forward with that message, that responsibility, knowing that the victory has already been accomplished. Knowing that indeed the gates of hell have not withstood the ways of heaven because Jesus was faithful even unto death. And in His resurrection, He has conquered sin and death. So our timing, though, may have told the disciples then to wait, but not us. Now we're let loose. Go. This is the task that is before you. And you know, this, this year, in the last six, seven months, the, the youth and the children's ministry of this particular church have engaged with 60 to 70 different families who don't know them, who aren't connected with the church through FX Night, through Mega Blast, through the um, Crash, through Youth Group, through the, the, and the literacy ministry, through the through literacy, College Hill Literacy Team and connecting with uh, other families. 60 to 70 families who are outside of church who say they don't have a connection with the church at all and may not have a connection with Jesus. I mean, right there, just within that ministry. We didn't even have to go that far but take great risks and get into the mess of the world in order to carry out the responsibility, the brave task that He's called us to. As I thought about that, I thought, you know, this would be a great opportunity for a mother among us just to share how God's made her brave. And, and what greater mother than the one we affectionately know in youth group and other places as Mama Key. Simply share with her years, years of experience in working with teenagers and others, um, what that takes and how she's, through even to the last several weeks, continued to learn and grow in what it means to be brave in this task. Good morning. 
Well, I'm starting to feel about brave the same way I feel about patience. Um, <laughs> when you pray for patience, you never get a box of patience. You always get a bunch of opportunities to learn how to be patient and practice it. And so Brave has been presenting me with a lot of opportunities for practice. And um, a couple of weeks ago on, at Crash on a Sunday night, I uh, was plunged into one of the opportunities, and I'm still kind of walking it out. Um, as some of you know, maybe some of you don't, I, I hang with kids at our church, and I, I don't do this because I'm cool, and I also don't do this because I'm crazy. I, I do this because I really love our kids. I love teenagers, and um, I want their best, and I know what is best for them is Jesus. And what's best for them is that the decisions that they make as they're living out their lives are shaped and informed by their relationship with Christ. That's, that's God's best for them, and that's what I want. Um, so on Sunday night, we were playing, I don't know, zombie apocalypse, nerf freeze tag. I don't even know what the game was we were playing. It was something nuts, and it had flying foam bullets. Um, I heard a car alarm go off out in the parking lot, and I peeked around the window, and I saw that the car whose lights were flashing belonged to me. Um, and I thought, oh, drat, my alarm's off. And I ran upstairs to get my keys from my purse. And when I did that, I discovered that I didn't have any keys. And uh, I didn't have any keys because someone had taken them from my purse. Um, it was a young guy who comes infrequently with some kids who, from the community who come sometimes. They're not regulars, but I really like them to be. Um, we're really still in early relationship. They're kind of skittish. We're still kind of skittish. We're getting to know each other. Um, but as this unfolded, they wanted to leave. I mean, they've seen that there's a problem with a car. We're not happy. They want to go. I don't want them to go until we look at the video and see who has the keys. And so we have a conversation about why they need to stay. I'm still anxious that they're going to feel unloved, uncared for. So I started to pray, and, and what I prayed was that I don't know how to react in this situation, but I want to show love, I want to show grace, just help. And, and I think God did, because I stayed pretty calm considering that every key important in my life was on that key ring that disappeared. My car keys, my house keys, my office keys, keys, I don't even know what they were to anymore, but I had them and they were gone. Um, so I wasn't really sure how things were going to work out. Dave brought my spare keys. I went home. On Monday, I came back and walked the parking lot, hoping that as the kid who had taken my keys fled, that maybe he had tossed them when he couldn't get into the car. But that was not the case. I, could, I didn't find them. And uh, I went over to the Quickie Mart and asked them if somebody had turned them in. Nope. So I uh, came back, parked in front of the church, and I came in to talk to Drew um, about what our next steps would be. And while I was inside talking to Drew, the person brought my keys back to church and used them to steal my car. So um, that was the second uncomfortable conversation. That was when I had to call my husband and tell him that I had taken the Subaru back to church and knowing that someone here had keys. And in my defense, I really thought that the person that took them would be in school, and I know how dumb that sounds now, but there you go. The police recovered the car, um, it was out of gas, it had been wrecked, it was roughed up. We changed our locks, changed the car keys, it's still being fixed. Um, the damage to the car will be fixed, 
and I'm hoping that we won't have damage to the relationship that we're starting to develop with the kids in our community. Um, I've been thinking about this quote for the last couple of weeks. It says, power without love is reckless and abusive, and love without power is sentimental and anemic. Power at its best is love implementing the demands of justice, and justice at its best is love correcting everything that stands against love. There will be justice in this. If they have enough evidence, we'll press charges. But there'll also be love because I hope the kid who took my keys comes back. He needs, he needs Jesus. James says to consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I can't say I felt a lot of joy, but I will say that I felt peace. For me, brave is, is refusing to stay comfortable, and it's refusing to make judgments about people based on my experiences with one. Brave is reaching for relationships with people, even when they're not reaching back, and sometimes when they make it really clear that they don't want to reach back. Um, it's showing people my heart and loving like I'm not scared, even though sometimes I am. There's a culture out there that is attacking and ruining and raping our kids. It's, it's just, it's a tsunami of filth, and it just tears away their innocence. It gives them rags and tells them that they're rich robes. It gives them a false image of who they're meant to be and where their value and worth comes from. It drowns them in lies that sex and violence and money and wealth and lawlessness are to be embraced. And it's giving them hell. And we need to give them Jesus. They need Jesus. We need to find ways to draw the line for them and ask them to come with us as we, as we follow Jesus. And we need to help them do it. And that means we've got to be brave. Um, as our church embraces being a community of Jesus, and we begin to walk with folks that are different than we are, who don't know God, who are learning, it's going to be messy. And um, it's going to be bumpy. It's going to be hard. There's a tension living with justice and grace and mercy. They pull against each other sometimes. We have to have some hard conversations. We have to share our hearts. We have to listen to other people's hearts. And then we've got to have that conversation again. And we may have to have it again and again and again and again. Um, I don't know how this story will end. I'm still waiting for the outcome. I'm not always really clear about my enthusiasm about getting out of the boat. Um, although I shared this morning that when Barb was talking about her, her boat thing, that it came to me that if I'm going to burn my ship, I probably ought to get out of it first. <laughs> I do know that when I get out of this ship that God walks through the storm with me and he reaches out and he keeps me from sinking when I start to panic and he gives me what I need to write it out. And so I, I don't know what our walk is going to look like, but I do know that we're not doing it by ourselves. And I just feel more strongly than I ever have that, that we have a message that can change the lives of people and we need to tell it. Thank you, uh, Jenny, for...
not only uh, telling that message, but seeking to live it and seeking to live it with us and lead us um, on that journey as well. It's so important that we grasp why God is making us brave. Like I said, it's not so that we'll conquer our fear of spiders. It's so that we'll enter into the battle of heaven and hell. And, and we'll, we'll do so in order to, to be a witness, to share a message, to live a life in accordance with God's kingdom in a world that doesn't. We'll enter into the battle between God and the evil one. The kingdom of heaven and the ways of hell. We'll be on the offensive. That takes bravery. You know, it's interesting, if you look at the rest of the passage um, of Jesus' interaction with Peter, right after this happens, Jesus then tells him in the next verse, he says, all right, now I've got to go to Jerusalem and I've got to suffer, I've got to be betrayed, I've got to be denied, and I've got to die. So come follow me. This is what the journey takes. That's what I've got to do, and you're going to follow with me. To which Peter then responds to him, no, we're even told in the text he rebukes Jesus. He, he then moves to be a protector of Jesus. i got news for you. Jesus doesn't need a bodyguard. God needs no protection. You, you're not going out defending God. You're not going out saving Jesus. You're going out seeking to follow Him. That's, that's what we're doing. That's what bravery requires. And sometimes it may just be standing up and saying, No, I don't act that way because I'm a follower of Jesus. No, I, I, don't, I don't do that. I don't think that's what Jesus would want me to do. And that becomes the question. What is Jesus calling me to do in this moment? Who is Jesus calling me to be right now? Because what Jesus then tells Peter, when Peter is, uh, tells him, no, that's not going to happen to you, Jesus then turn, turns to Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. In five verses, Peter has gone from the rock to the devil. That's why it's so encouraging. So will you. So will I. I mean, we'll stand here, we'll applaud, and we'll get baptized. All of us will be. But then, in just five verses, we'll be the devil. And so that's, that's the good reason why, yeah, we're on the offensive. Yeah, we've got a responsibility. But ultimately, the victory is not ours. It's already been accomplished in Jesus. So we get up with Peter. We say, yeah, I'm the devil. You're, you're Jesus. You've cleansed me. Let me get back in the battle again. I can promise you that will happen for each one of us. But what He has begun, He will complete. And then Jesus tells Peter, See, Peter, the problem is you, have your, you, you had your eyes on the kingdom of God. You had your eyes on me when you called me the son of the living God. But then you turned your eyes back to the ways of humanity, back to the ways of the world, not to the ways of heaven. 
So our, our journey and what, what Jenny just shared with us is to say, how in the midst of this, you know, your car getting stolen, how, how do we keep our eyes on Jesus? How do we help one another? And though, as we continue down that path, more and more stuff like that will happen. And how do we help one another? Then keep our eyes on Jesus and do what He would have us do. Be who He would have us be. Live in a ways in accordance of His kingdom. That is why we're brave. That's why He makes us brave. To enter into this battle and keep our eyes on Him. You see, as we as we, we enter into this, there is no demilitarized zone. There, there is, is no place that's not in the crosshairs of both heaven and hell. We will be in that battle. So the charge is to be brave, to keep our eyes on Him. For in the stuff we're doing, either we're playing with Jesus or we're playing with the devil, there, there is no nice easy middle spot. So we want, as we've been entrusted with this charge, to pursue the ways of the kingdom of God that requires bravery and courage and action. We want to do it with, in the middle of those, next to those, around those who are playing with the devil. God is on the offense in you, in me, and in us. May we continue to learn and grow and help one another in the power of His Spirit to be brave. Amen.